Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our channel will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our LSQ church family. We hope you'll subscribe as a way to stay connected during this season of uncertainty and social distancing. Scripture reading today is from Exodus 20, verse 4, and Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to 20. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Tracy. Um, and I echo Carol Ann and the, the restart and redoing of, of our community here at our four-year anniversary. I do uh, want to push you to Gotham. People all the time say, I don't feel discipled enough. I don't feel like people, uh, I'm being discipled, and Gotham is one of those places for that. So please look into that application as well. Um, But happy fourth, as I've been saying uh, all day. Uh, We started a series last week on the Ten Commandments. And um, I want us to just for a second backtrack a little bit and try to imagine yourself. Imagine you're an Israelite, and you're standing at the mountain uh, waiting for Moses to come down with the tablets and try to put yourself in their situation. Right? Try to put yourself where, where, they, are, where they were at. They, they had just come out of Egypt. This, this is an entire people group who's, who have lived generational lives of enslavement. Like generational lives. And the question you have to ask yourself is, what's been the most formative thing to you in your life? Because I'm sure their people, their, their inner community had said, you're an Israelite, you have a, a, a special relationship to the one true God. You know, you, you have this special standing there. But then all around them for generations in Egypt, you had this Egyptian culture saying something completely differently. That you might have been told that you follow the one true God, but in Egypt there was many gods. And there was many different views and many different ideas about what the purpose for humanity was, what's the purpose of your life that was in contrast to what they told themselves inwardly. And I think today we have a very similar time that Christians have been told that we have a relationship with the one true God, but all around us in 3D, in sight and sound, in space, We have a culture and a narrative that is saying that the purpose for humanity, that the point for humanity, the point for all of our lives is actually very different. 
And the question we have to ask ourselves is, who are we going to listen to? Right? Uh, who, who, are, who is going to form us? Because I grew up in this town, living in this town. Our formation has been divided. And we must, at, we must contrast what does the world believe and what do I actually believe. And by the way, if you're not a Christian, you still have the same question. What do I internally hold? And then what is different from what I hold to what everybody else holds? Or is it the same? Because if we've been released from bondage to, that's the Christian story, then what is the way that we will live that will bring about human thriving? And what is the contrast that, about that? Um, a few weeks ago, I actually, maybe it was months, maybe it, was, it was February, I actually had my um, uh, yearly checkup, which I didn't get last year. So uh, it had been a little while, and I got my blood work, and the doctor said to me, uh, you have high cholesterol, Michael, and, and, um, and then you know, with other stuff, you have high blood pressure. You have high cholesterol, high blood pressure. So he said, eat these foods, don't eat these foods. Kind of eat this, like go this, do this kind of thing, but don't do this. And if I decided, if I have decided, okay, I've decided sometimes to ignore some of those suggestions. I'm not going to get put in detention. I'm not going to get put in jail. I'm not going to, he, he's not going to track me down. Because the, na- the consequences are always, are natural, when you violate the doctor's orders, you're not violating um, what he says. You're actually violating your own nature. And therefore, you end up destroying what it might look like to thrive. And so to prevent ourselves from doing the exact same thing, that's why we're doing this series, looking at the Ten Commandments. Because the Ten Commandments are not some sort of arbitrary thing that you, that, uh, you, know, you do and then you're in. This is actually describing the nature of your reality, and to go against it, you're breaking that. Nobody's going to track you down. The consequences are going to be natural. And so we need to figure that out. Um, we need to look at this and, and ask ourselves what we can get from it. And I think what you will find, I think we've already seen this in the first command, but we're going to see them, is interestingly, each command stands in stark contrast to what the world says. So today we're going to look at uh, the second command. We're going to look at the great danger of images and yet the, the absolute necessity of images and then the eventual fulfillment of images. Three things. The danger of images, the absolute necessity of them, and yet the complete fulfillment of them. So first, the danger of images. This is in verse 4 where God says, very simply, you shall not make any image. Make, make for yourself an image. Before I, uh, I um, was called to start Redeemer Lincoln Square years ago, I actually uh, lived in London, not, um, I think there's a new London, Connecticut, London, United Kingdom, and there was a ministry, ministry there called London City Mission, and where I was placed was actually in the Isle of Dogs, it's actually just north of, or around Canary Wharf, and um, we, were, we were working with a Bengali Muslim population. And the director was a guy named Hank Buma, who was this Dutchman and very direct. And this is about 20 years ago, back when relationships with the Islamic community and the world was very, you know, this is, there's terrorist attacks going on around here. And we started talking to all these fairly conservative Wahhabi Muslims and going into mosques and having conversations with them, connecting with them. And uh, um, it was a very eye-opening experience for me because what I found is there's a lot of parallels between the Jewish, Christian, and Muslim faiths. And one of those places is actually the role of images. Because a lot of these, these, these Muslims would say, you know, Michael, you know, calling even 
God Father. You can't call Allah Father Father because in, that limits God in your mind. And it's completely inappropriate to have conceive of Allah that way. And in those conversations, I'd say, hey, you know, actually Jews and Christians agree. And I would quote this text, that you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath or the waters below. And I think what God is trying to say here in the second command is this. Not only should you not have any gods before me, that's the first command, but when you think or when you worship the true God, do not make an image to help yourself. Because the problem is when you do that, you're doing two things. You're limiting him and you're destroying the proper tension that's in God's nature. And I want to look at those two things quickly, right? Limiting him, destroying the proper tension. So first, when it comes to limiting, uh, I'm, not gonna, I'm trying hard not to knock our Roman Catholic and Orthodox uh, brothers and sisters, but this is actually a distinctive of the um, Reformed faith. As a Presbyterian, you might notice that we do not have any images of Jesus around. And if you go to other Presbyterian churches, there are no images that you're going you're gonna to see there but even though some traditions, to put it in the best light, they would say these images, uh, pictures and statues and icons and figurines, they're helpful because they point your attention uh, to him better. We would say that images are limiting because of what God's nature really is. And let me try to be careful here. It doesn't limit God. It limits our heart's ability at connecting to and understanding God, because we have a tendency to only want to focus on God as we want, and not uh, as he is. We have, a, we have a tendency to focus on, you know, I want to think of God like this. I want to think of God like that. And an image of, God, of Jesus literally allows us to latch onto one feature of him versus others. Growing up in New York and now a minister here, uh, if, if I talk to folks and they find out I'm a minister, inevitably the conversation always goes to, oh yeah, God, you know, I like to think of God like blank. And I've heard people say, like a giant teddy bear. I've heard people say, uh, actually one of my good friends says, I like to think of him as a, sort of a, a, a light. He is a, um, a light for others. Some folks say, I like to think of God as a, uh, somebody who's not, not even a someone, a force that just sort of enraptures us in existential space. Um, there was, it always reminds me of the, the Will Ferrell movie. It's kind of old now, Talladega Nights, where Will Ferrell plays a race car driver and he's praying over food and he goes, dear baby Jesus. Uh, he, I think actually I wrote it down. Dear, I actually looked, I, this is research for me. Dear baby Jesus, we hope that you can use your baby Jesus power to, to help us win the race. And he actually gets confronted in this scene and like, why do you only pray to baby Jesus? And he goes, well, I like the Christmas Jesus best. And that's baby Jesus. And then his uh, cow, his shake and bake partner goes, well, I like to party. So I like to think of Jesus that parties. And they, they talk about that. And we, I hear some giggling. And, and it, is, it is kind of funny. And yet, everybody kind of does this to some degree or not. Christians do this, right? When we open up the Bible and we say, you know what? I like that part of the Bible. I don't like that part of the Bible. You can actually go to, um, I think, Monticello, where uh, you know, Thomas Jefferson, he literally cut out the parts of the Bible that he didn't like, which I've never really understood because if it's two-sided, you cut off. I, don't, I still don't understand that, but people have done that. 
And so I, here's the problem. The, the ethical problem today, most of our ethics are pretty much aligned because of the Judeo-Christian influence in Western culture and then New York City as it is. But the stark contrast between what Christians believe or, historically and what, where the world's at is actually in sexual ethics. So what happens is, is we look at the Bible and we go, oh, I love that stuff about how God is a God of love. Ooh, I don't like the stuff where it says that sex should only be done in, inside marriage. Ooh. I like the stuff about, you know, um, God as somebody who is going to bless us. I don't like the stuff where it says that God actually punishes. See, what's happening in that moment is if you say, I like A and I like B, but I don't really like C, what's happening is you're actually building an image of God as you like and not actually as he really is. And that is breaking the essence of the second command. Which then you go, wait a second, now we're not talking about figurines anymore. We're not talking about just little, uh, you know, finite spaces. When you look at him like that, that isn't allowing him to be who he really is. It's, it's, any, it's limiting any nature of who God is. And so what God is saying to us is he's saying, if I'm really God, then you don't get to define who I am. Right? Only I get to define who I am. And when you break the second command, you're worshiping then an imagined God, an incomplete God, a fake God, not as he's actually defined. And so where has he revealed himself? In the Bible, he says, here's who I am. But if you read it and say, I like A and kind of B, but not really C, then you're building a fake one. And you're not actually trying, you're, actually, you're not actually communing with, you're not actually interacting with the true God. And this means then the real danger of images is not just limiting God, it's actually not letting God be fully who he is. And so when we highlight the pietistic aspects of God only, or if we highlight the, you know, the missional aspects of God, that he goes out, or if we highlight only the justice aspects of God, or if we highlight only the contemplative aspects of God, then that's actually not God. Right? Those are all part of him, they're, in, they're essential aspects of him, but not really him. It would be like this. It would be like a husband or a wife taking a picture of their spouse and uh, put it on the computer and starts Photoshopping it. You change the filter. You, um, you, know, you might change the eyes or the nose, and then you highlight and accentuate the parts of your spouse that you like. You um, change the parts that you don't like. And you move things around and, 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 and you create how you would like to see them. And then it's like posting that picture online and with a little caption saying, I love my wife, I love my husband, just as they are. No, you don't. That's not, that's, that is not what's actually happening. That you've changed the image of them. So you, we, if we know that we should not do that to alter the nature of our spouses or just how about our close friends? Or other relationships. Why? Because we know if we do that enough, it'll eventually lead to relational breakdown. And just like when you mar the image of somebody else, your relationship with them will eventually fall apart. Same thing with God. Put it this way. If every time you meet your friend, right, he or she likes to say, you know, here's who you really are. I mean, this is how I like to think of you or remember you. And you're like, okay, come on. That's not... I'm not just that. You know, I'm a lot more than that. If, if they're like, no, 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 this is who you are. <laughs> Over time, 
right? That incomplete acceptance is going to weigh on you. You're going to say, you don't really understand. You don't really get, you're not really with me, are you? And it's the same thing here. Do not limit God. Do not worship a non-God, a created God, a fake God, a God of A and B, but not C aspect. That is no God at all. And that's what the second command is saying. That's one of the great dangers. The second... At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastors and other members of our church community. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us for our virtual worship service on YouTube every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern. You can find our YouTube channel at lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash YouTube. second great danger is it doesn't let you live up and into the tensions that are found inside the the fullness of God's nature. What I mean by that is, is pretty simple. It's that when you have an image or just an aspect, what, what's God? God? God shows up sometimes in big ways and small ways. Sometimes he's over all things. Sometimes he's in all things. Sometimes he's transcendent. Sometimes our music tries to highlight God's transcendence. Holy, holy. But sometimes it's imminence. God is with me. He's present. He's here. Because why? Because it's both. That's why we're trying to do both in our services. Because you can't contain all that. You can't paint that. You can't, you can't even conceive of that perfectly well. And when you don't, it destroys the proper tension and paradoxes and mysteries of God. That you need all of that. That's why you need all of God's word. That's why you need every aspect of it. Because you need his love, but you also need his wrath. Right? You need a God of justice and a God of mercy. You need his presence and his mystery. A God who weeps with you, but then a God who has the power to do something about it. And so I think there's great dangers in limiting who the true God is through images. I mean, I think, that, I think that's, that's what we see here, first thing. Now, secondly, and yet there's an absolute necessity to have images. Which, by the way, should be a little bit troubling to you, right? Because you said, hey, Mike, I thought you just said that, uh, you know, there's, there's a great danger here. How can you now say you need them? Well, I think, it, I think the answer is, uh, if you, back in our text, the assumption here is don't make for yourself an image. The assumption is that you are. Why? Because we're image makers. By default, we are that. How do I know that? Because go back to Genesis 1. And what are we told there in Genesis 1? It says, let us make man in our image. Well, what is God? God creates. So if we're made in his image, then we create. In other words, it's part of our nature to build and make. And uh, if you look at our work, our intuition, look at our sports, look at art, look at anything that humans do. And what we're doing is we're taking chaos and we're making order out of it, just like God does, right? The, the uh, creation begins in a garden in Genesis 1, but by revelation, it ends in a city. There is, an, there is a movement of building in the larger cosmos of, of reality, and humanity participates in that. But it's also a command, isn't it? Because if you go to Genesis 1, God says to fill the world and subdue it. What is subduing it? It's doing all these things. So not only is it our duty, it's our nature. 
And yet, if you go to just our, let's just go to our experiences. We are tactile people. Um, you know, uh, I love tea. I drink tea. I had some tea this morning. It, the aroma of it, it wakes up my senses. It, it's a, it gives me, like, it, it's the start of my day. I'm so tactile. My wife, pre-COVID, used to hate going shopping with me because I'd go into all the stores and touch everything. And, you know, I would put my hands in the beans and, the, and all this stuff. And people are like, that's gross. Um, what I wouldn't touch is I don't touch sliced tomatoes, by the way. Because sliced tomatoes are, you know, it's fleshy and it's gross. And, um, ugh. But that's, just, that's us being sensory beings. And as images of God, we are image makers. And so this is the absolute necessity for us to have and make and be around images. The best example of this actually is, is in the book of Exodus. Later on, right, Moses has gone up and the people start freaking out. And actually, I never thought about this until this week. They couldn't, ha- why did they freak out? They couldn't handle the tension without Moses around to intercede for them with God. They couldn't understand. They didn't know how to handle an invisible, immutable, all-powerful God. They, they didn't know how to worship a being like that. And if you think about it, that's what it's like to live by faith, right? Living and trusting someone that you can't see and you can't touch and you can't smell and you can't be around, that's really hard. That's not actually normal for us. That's actually not how we're built. And so these people are having a hard time. They go to Aaron, who's Moses' older brother, and say, you've got to help us out. This is all in Exodus chapter 32. And, and they notice they don't say, make us a new God. And Aaron doesn't make a new God. What he does is he builds this golden calf. And what he says with this golden calf is he's, he uses the exact same language from Exodus 2. He says, this is your God who has brought you up and out of Egypt. That's so interesting. Because he's saying, hey, I'm giving you something tactile. Here's gold, right? This, is, this means it's honorable. Uh, a calf, if you look at the ancient Near East, there, there is fertility and, and uh, wealth and prosperity that's contained in that kind of imagery. And so he says, hey, we're helping you actually worship God. And yet it limited him. And, that, and, why, and so I think, why was that, that even an intuition? Because this is actually part of who we are. Now, if you, you know, start sneering and say, well, I would never bow down or make a golden calf. How is this any different than when we want to think of God on our own terms? When we want to see him only in one particular way? The truth is that we need images. It's a deep part of who we are. And if um, you let me nerd out a little bit, this is what I did my PhD on a couple years ago. That people came to me, college students said, I believe in God, I just don't feel his presence. And I was like, well, how do you actually experience God? And the, what I found is that to get an experience of God, it has to hit your imagination. The abstract nature of God has to actually become a vivid sense reality in you. That's images. We need the concepts of God's realities to become real because we're 3D people, physical, tangible individuals. It means we need that physicality and tangibleness as well. And so hopefully you see the problem now. The great danger of images, but also the necessity of them. So maybe you're feeling the tension too. Then what's the solution? Like, what's the solution here? Well, last point, the fulfillment of all images. The problem is that the Israelites kept going and making images, and then they would actually go after other gods and Baals because they're like, hey, that helps. Let me go over there. 
And we to today still try to do the same thing. We put God in a box. We, we live in his nature and thoughts and actions. So what do we do? Go back to the text. And try to say this, this command a couple times slowly. It says, you shall not make an image for yourself. Which then you start pondering that. You go, wait a second. That means, there's, that means making an image in and of itself is not wrong. It's making an image yourself. And so the command is actually saying, that in other words, there's nothing wrong with an image of God. It's that we're not allowed to make it. So I, what I started doing is I started researching, well, what are images of God? We've already talked about one, right? God the Father, which is actually said a couple times in the Old Testament. That is an image of God. But also, God shows up as a cloud in the Old Testament. He shows up as, a, as fire. He, he shows up in the tabernacle. He says, build the Ark of the Covenant so my presence can be around you. And he says, form it with, mercy, with a mercy seat. And he, then he says, once a year, sprinkle blood on it. Why? Because by doing that, you'll show that there needs to be, to get access to me, there has to be some sort of payment. There, there's some sort of brokenness. I have, to, I have to almost have a giant symbolic way to show you that there's, there is the only way to me and get close to me is there has to be something that covers you. Something that's substituted for you. Something that actually lets me get here. Because there's, there's, there's some level of brokenness. And I don't know about you, I think Carolyn put it well. The pandemic, there's been lots of sorrows. But I think it's also highlighted that we, don't ha- we still don't have it together. That malaise, that, that, that kind of weird, kind of shocked syndrome that we walk around with, to me, shows me that we still have this like, question of, what's going what's gonna to get us out of this? What's going to, I mean, we can go back, I mean, listen, as things open up, we can go right back to our entertainment and our focus and just, you know, get into our rhythms again. But then we'll be missing an opportunity to say, wait, what what can save us? And I think what this shows us here, what I think this whole imagery of, of God from the Old Testament is moving us towards is, we can't make an image of God because only God can give us an image of himself And he finally and ultimately does that in the person of Jesus. That we can't depict God because he wants to depict himself. And when Jesus shows up, personable, tactical, um, knowable, relatable. I mean, what's, what's more relatable than a God who lives and dies for you, right? What's more personal than Jesus who has been through everything that you have gone through and will go through? There's nothing more personal than that. Which is why I put the passage, if you look at Colossians 1, uh, 15, this is the best passage because it, it says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. It's spelled out for us right there. That he makes known what was once unknowable. That he makes seen what was once unseenable. That he's the image of the invisible God. That, that's an, if you read that a couple times, you're like, oh my goodness. That means he's the firstborn of over all creation. He's before all things and in all things and around all things. All things are completed, completed and remade in him. Which means then, getting near Jesus is getting near God. Jesus holds all the tensions of God in him too, does he not? Right? Jesus can be so exclusive. He can say, no one comes to the Father except through me. Which us modern people go, that's kind of rigid. It, but then... In, He can also say, come all ye who are weary and heavy laden, for I will give you rest. 
Jesus is both the lamb and the lion. Jesus can turn the tables and throw out the money changers to do justice. And then if you look at verse 20 in our Colossians text, he can also want to reconcile all things to him. Because he's fully God and fully man. He can hold those tensions together. I think this comes out the most on the cross, right? In the cross, you see the wrath of God that you see all through the Old Testament, and yet you see the love of God that you also see all throughout the Old Testament that comes together. Also on the cross, you see how close God is near to us in our issues and our sins, and yet also how far away we are from him. Go one step further. If Jesus is the image of God, as Colossians just tells us, and we are images made in in his image, then that means we're only most complete when we reflect him. It also means that you and I are probably reflecting other things. So this is, I mean, what we should be thinking about today is, well, how am I going to stop then just reflecting culture, reflecting what the culture thinks we want? Money, sex, power. Stop reflecting to have to have it all together. Stop reflecting having to Live out the narratives that the world might tell you that, that will complete you, but then we look at people doing it, and it doesn't work. You are made to reflect him. And if you did that, you know what? You're going to have the same tensions that you see in Jesus, you should see in yourself. That means if Jesus is, a, is both truth and grace, you should be both truth and grace. Jesus justice and mercy. You and I should be justice and mercy. Forgiveness and repentance. You, you'll know that you're reflecting God when the tensions found in him are now found in you. And that means you can do these things. You, you, you know that, I, I think it also lets us be fully human too. You can know you're sinful, and yet his grace allows us to live out into the world. It means we can't, and we, it means we can't and we won't live our lives as if we're just on our own. Redeemer Lincoln Square is filled with paradoxes, right? One of our values is to be a church not for ourselves, but for others. And yet we can hold that with, we're going to be a church as a gift right now. Everything is, if God has generously given to us, now we can turn around and generously give to others and be dependent on him. So last point, let me just question is four. It's the whole point of creation is for reconciliation and constantly more dividing culture. That wants to cancel. Put it this way. If the core of our faith is a man who comes to reconcile, this church is going to be to build and to grow and to reconcile with all others. And so knowing that and knowing the irreducible nature of God, then we need to be reflections of that. And that means, guess what? Living into this constant tension of the crazy, complex realities of all of us. You are both good and evil. And that means everybody else out there is both good and evil. That means you can't cancel anyone because you're not to be canceled. That we have divine and human qualities. That means we can't hate others because we don't, to be honest, we don't fully understand anyone. We don't even understand ourselves. I think that's what it's going to look like to live out that tension. That the first will be last, the strength will be weakness, the way up is the way down. It is down. It's the upside down nature of the kingdom. And yeah, you say, Mike, that sounds like a paradox. Yes, it is. But you can live that out if you're reflecting him. Are you? Will you? Think about the second command, and let's try to live it out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, whew. 
one little phrase. Probably one, this, is, this command, Father, is one of the ones out of all ten that tends to get glanced over the most. We go, okay, I'm not, I'm not drawing a picture. And yet, Father, we have images all over in our minds and our hearts, and we limit you. Father, it's hard because we're limited ourselves. We can only think of one aspect at a time. And so I pray that just puts us on our hands and our knees and say, Lord, we believe. Help my unbelief. Help, Lord, I, I, I get you and I really don't get you. And we can sit in that awe and that wonder and that tension. It would humble us. And as it humbles us, it, it'll make us less sure of ourselves. And as it makes us less sure of ourselves, we'll be less willing to cut other people off. And then we'll be able to, because we know that you've been generous to us, we can be generous to others. We can use the emotional wealth stored up from the grace that you've given us, and we can give that grace out to other people. Father, this is going to come in so many different ways. The church doesn't even know how to, how to tell each individual how to do that. But, Father, that is the call of all Christians, to go out, to be salt and light, to reconcile with the world, Father. And I pray we will be a place where we can heal and lick our wounds and do it together. We're going to have to rebuild this church. <laughs> After four years of around, Father, a pandemic has, has also shifted and changed things. And so, Father, I pray that we will be this, admitting along the way that we don't have it together, admitting and confessing and repenting where we've missed it in the hopes, Father, to move out. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already, and we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.